are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Cindy Johnson, award-winning volunteer and chapter leadership committee member of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. This is episode 108 of Lighthearted, slated for March 7th, 2021. Has anything interesting happened on the state in lighthouse history, Cindy? As a matter of fact, yes. Hillsborough Inlet Lighthouse on the southeast coast of Florida was first lighted on March 7, 1907. A Chicago company built the octagonal cast iron skeleton tower for the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair, and after the fair, the federal government purchased it. The lighthouse has a second-order bivalve Fresnel lens that emits a 5.5 megacandle light. Today, the nonprofit Hillsborough Lighthouse Preservation Society preserves the light station for the enjoyment and education of the public. And our friend Ralph Krugler, who's a regular contributor to this podcast, is the historian for the Hillsborough Lighthouse Preservation Society. I also want to mention something that happened on March 7, 1934. The Grand Manan Ferry frequently ran through the area between Lubeck, Maine, and Camp Bellow Island in New Brunswick, Canada passing the Lubeck Channel Lighthouse. The captain was accustomed to hailing the man on duty. When no one appeared, the captain became suspicious. It turned out that keeper Nathaniel Alley had been alone on duty and was overcome by fumes from the coal stove. Alley was taken to Lubeck for medical treatment, but he soon died. I guess that's another reminder that lighthouse keeping wasn't as romantic as people think. Yep, that's exactly right, especially at an isolated uh, offshore lighthouse like Lubeck Channel. In today's edition of Lighthearted, we're going to discuss another very important and historic lighthouse in the southern U.S. with our guest, Sarah Jones. Cindy, please help me tell everyone about Tybee Island Lighthouse and our guest. I'd be happy to. The Savannah River marks the border between Georgia and South Carolina. The river was vital to the early development of the area, including the city of Savannah. A lighthouse at Tybee Island has been guiding shipping into the river since 1791. The spot was first marked with an unlighted day beacon in 1736, only 20 years after America's first light station was established in Boston Harbor. The original brick and cedar tower was washed away in a storm in August 1741. A new 94-foot-tall day beacon was built in 1742. It didn't take long for the encroaching sea to threaten the structure, and a third tower was completed in 1773. That tower was ceded to the federal government in 1790, soon after a federal lighthouse establishment was created. Officials felt a proper lighthouse was needed, so the day beacon was converted into a lighted navigational aid in 1791. The top 40 feet of the lighthouse and its wooden stairs were destroyed when Confederate troops burned it so it wouldn't fall into the hands of the Union Army. After the war, it was decided that the surviving 60 feet of the lighthouse tower would be augmented with a masonry extension and an iron lantern. At the same time, a powerful new first-order Fresnel lens was installed. The resulting lighthouse is the one that still stands today. Tybee is one of the country's most intact 19th century light stations, along with the tower and its still active Fresnel lens, three keepers' houses and other support buildings remain standing. 
The Coast Guard remained at the light station until 1987. The Tybee Island Historical Society spent 12 years working towards a restoration of the lighthouse tower, which was carried out by the International Chimney Corporation in 1998 and 99. The keeper's houses were restored over the next few years. Under the guidelines of the National Historic Lighthouse Preservation Act, the light station became the property of the Tybee Island Historical Society in 2002. Today, a ticket to the site allows you to tour the lighthouse tower and the other station buildings and to visit the Tybee Island Museum across the street. Cullen Chambers, who was involved in the restorations of the Florida Light Stations in Key West and St. Augustine, became the executive director of the Tybee Island Historical Society in 1994. He spearheaded the restoration of the Tybee Island Light Station and consulted on other projects around the country. The Tybee Island Historical Society's board named Sarah Jones the new executive director in 2014. The native Texan had been hired by Colin Chambers to the staff of the Historical Society eight years earlier, and she was involved in a number of preservation projects around Tybee Island. In 2019, Sarah authored a book of historical postcards of Tybee Island for Arcadia Press. I spoke with her recently. Let's listen to that conversation now. I'm speaking today with Sarah Jones, who is the executive director of the Tybee Island Historical Society in Georgia. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sarah. No problem. We'll talk about the lighthouse, of course. If we could start by talking maybe a little bit about your background. I read somewhere that you're originally from Texas, and I'm wondering what what brought you to Tybee Island. Well, I came to Savannah in about the year 2000 on a girl's trip. And I absolutely fell in love with Savannah uh, and decided just to move down here. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a job waiting for me. I just packed up my little Chevy Cavalier and came to Savannah, Georgia. And I found a job and I found a place to live and I made new friends. And then I decided to enroll in uh, SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design. Mm -hmm. I enrolled in their historic preservation program as an MFA student. And then I did that for two years, and upon graduating, then I got the job out here at Tybee at the Historical Society, and that was in 2006. Mm -hmm. So it was Savannah that lured me in, but I ultimately ended up falling in love with Tybee just as much as Savannah. I know uh, that you were originally hired to work for the Society by the late Cullen Chambers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from the time I got involved with Lighthouses... Quite a few years ago, I kept hearing Cullen Chambers' name being mentioned with uh, enormous respect, and I was lucky enough to meet him at, I think, at least two or three conferences from about 1999 to around 2005, Mm -hmm. and he was, I would say, a legend in the Lighthouse community. So what was it like working with Cullen Chambers? Oh, goodness. Um, He was a unique individual, Cullen was. He was very, very passionate about what he did not just with regards to lighthouses, but all things historic. He cared so much about Tybee and Tybee Island and the preservation of its resources. And, you know, it started in St. Augustine. And before St. Augustine, there was Key West. Mm -hmm. And he also worked at Fort Zachary Taylor prior to working at the Key West Lighthouse. So he, he just had a passion for preservation that I don't think I've seen in any other individual since since knowing him or meeting him. Um, it was in his blood. He loved it. He lived for it. And working for him was 
was exciting. It, he, I couldn't have asked for a better mentor. He taught me a lot, but unfortunately he left before he could teach me enough. So, and, and Cullen was always big on saying, you know, you got to try it, you got to figure it out and it might not always work out the first time, but learn from your mistakes and move on. He was always really big about saying that. I know Cullen Chambers died suddenly in 2014 and mm-hmm. that must have been a, a great shock to everyone at the Historical Society. I'm sure it was to everybody in the lighthouse world really around the country. So uh, how did you feel at that time about stepping into the executive director position? It was just also sudden. We had literally the day before gotten back from Abaco, Hopetown, Bahamas. Mm. We had gone down there to assess their lighthouse, and we had spent a week down there doing a complete assessment of this wonderful hand-operated kerosene-driven lighthouse. And he was in his element, and he was excited. And so when we got back and he, he passed away, it was just so it was just a sudden, and it was a shock. And it, I was just doing my job, and I just kept on putting one foot in front of the other. And my job slowly morphed into his job as well. And it was just, I think, a, a sad but natural transition um, there weren't too many bumps in the roads when, when it happened because he hired me with the understanding that, that one day he would move on to his next big project and I would be there to take over. So he had been grooming me to take his place for a while. So it was a natural transition. You know, he's remembered with uh, great respect, uh, certainly mm-hmm. in, the, in the Lighthouse community. So if we could change the subject a little bit, um, sure. I know one of the early day beacons at Tybee Island had to be rebuilt in 1773 because the sea was encroaching on it. How safe is the lighthouse uh, from erosion today? I actually, because we were part of the um, National Parks, we were part of the Coast Guard, and then through the Lighthouse Preservation Act, it was deeded to us. I actually have to do an annual report to the U.S. Park Service every year, and that is actually one of the questions they ask, is what is our plan for sea level rise? And when I look at the map in 100 years, the Tybee Island Lighthouse is the only thing left on Tybee. Mm. Um, So our plans are to just hold steady. You know, we're the highest point on the island. We really can't move her anywhere else. We can't do what Hatteras did and, and, and move our lighthouse back. There's no safe safer place on Tybee than where we sit. So our plan is just to to make sure that we're taking as best of care of our, our site as we can. And, you know, one day we might have to accept that we're going to have to access it by boat, unfortunately. Right. That was my next question. Yeah. How accessible would it be if uh, seas rise to that level? Yeah. That's good to hear that it's on on higher ground than anything mm-hmm. else there. Uh, let's shift gears again and maybe talk a, a bit about the uh, the history of the, the light station there. I know the Civil War played a huge role in the history mm-hmm. of, of obviously the, the whole area and the, the light station. Can you explain what happened during and just after the war? Well, the Confederates uh, were stationed at Tybee until General Lee pulled them back in 1861. Um, and then in, in 1861, when he pulled them back, he put them all on in Fort Pulaski to keep them safe, feeling that the surrounding islands were, were too big of a risk. And they would the Confederates would use Tybee Lighthouse to look at the Union soldiers on Hilton Head. 
So what happened was after they pulled back to Pulaski, they sent out Olmsted sent out a a troop of men led by Reed, and they came to burn down the Tybee Lighthouse so that when the Union soldiers landed on Tybee, they couldn't use it because they knew what it could be used for because they had been using it for that very thing. Uh, unfortunately, they were very disappointed when the tower itself did not completely crumble. Um, there's about 90 feet left of the tower, and all it really did was burn the stair system in the interior because that was made of wood at the time. So they didn't have as big of um, an impact with the fire as they had hoped, and it didn't take the Union soldiers very long to get in here and, and stabilize it and use it for the very purposes that the Confederate soldiers were were afraid that they might use it. And then throughout the rest of the time that the Union soldiers were on up until they bombarded Pulaski, they used it as their headquarters. So they used the, the buildings and the light station here as a place to, to keep an eye on things, I guess, so to speak, and allow them to build batteries that were earthenwork batteries that were closer to uh, Pulaski on the, on the extreme north end of Tybee Island. I know another major event in the history of the, the light station was an earthquake that happened in yeah. 1886. Yeah. So how did that affect mm -hmm. the lighthouse? It gave us some new cracks, but prior to the earthquake, we had a lot of cracks already. And the keepers here had been advocating for serious repairs, if not a complete rebuild. That didn't happen. When the earthquake happened, it created new cracks, but none of those cracks were, were structural. None of those cracks affected the integrity of the actual building. Um, they did have some damage to the lens. I believe the lens was knocked off the pedestal and some of the rings that were above uh, were knocked off, but they just repaired that and, and kept right on moving. You can still see some of those cracks um, in the lighthouse, especially when the paint starts to fade. But other than a few cracks in a tilted lens, the Tybee light did fairly well through that earthquake. Correct me if I'm wrong about this This next thing I want to ask you about, but um, mm -hmm. I believe a part of Fort Screven called uh, Battery, it, it is pronounced Fort Screven, right? Yes, Fort yeah. Screven. Yeah. Uh, part of it called Battery Garland was built close mm -hmm. to the light station just before 1900. Mm -hmm. What kind of effect did that have on the lighthouse? Besides ruining the beautiful view? <laughs> uh <laughs> Um, I, those keepers had to be so mad right outside their front porch. They had the best view. And then they built that big old concrete Endicott period battery mm -hmm. right in front of them. The biggest impact, I would say, was the keepers buildings were built with plaster on the interior. And uh, when I have groups coming through and I try to describe it to them, I, I tell them to think of that scene in Mary Poppins where the, the gun gets fired and they have to hold everything on the mantle and catch everything. Mm. Well, you had these massive guns that they, they were never fired in battle, but they were fired in practice. And it would knock the plaster off of the ceiling and the walls. So all of the, our keepers' buildings are unique in that the interior walls and the ceilings are all wooden. We don't have any plaster plaster work on the interior simply because they couldn't keep the plaster up because of the large guns firing ac across the way. And it also brought a lot more soldiers into the area. So, you know, the keepers had to keep a closer eye on their daughters because, you know, it was in the middle of a military base and they had two teenage daughters at one point. So that did also affect it as well. 
Are there any other stories about life of the keepers and families at Tybee Island Light Station that stand out for you? The staff here love a story about a snake. Um, we had a, a keeper who was, ve- he, he wrote so well and he i think he missed his his calling as a as a writer but what happened was one of the second assistant keepers ran from the lighthouse screaming that he had seen a 14 foot snake and everybody on the light station grounds got got pitchforks and hose and guns and even the lady of the house got a boiling pot of water and they all ran to the lighthouse to kill the snake, which they did, only to find out it was not 14 feet long. It was four feet long. Mm. And he writes that story in just such a, a funny and unique way that it, it just tickles you that they were all so scared of a 14-foot snake that turned out to be a four-foot snake. Mm. So that that's one of our favorite stories here at the lighthouse that we like to tell people. Was it a, a fairly... Uh sedate place for the most part for keepers and their families, you know, maybe compared to more remote lighthouses. Was it a a nice place to live, do you think? Yes, it was. From my understanding, it was one of the premier light station duties you could have in the country, simply because it was in the middle of a military base. Um, And, you know, Savannah is not that far away once the train came out in the 30s, or excuse me, in the late 90s, ended in the 30s. It was, from what I understand, a posh location, if you could consider a lighthouse, a posh location for the keepers. And it was a duty that a lot of people asked to be assigned to for that reason. Why don't we uh, shift gears a little bit again, more to the the present day. I know this year was different. We'll talk about that, uh, too. Sure. Normally, what can people expect when they visit Tybee Allen Lighthouse? Uh, Basically, what, what does your ticket give you when you go there? Well, we are one of the uh, few intact light stations in the U.S. Um, So we have all of our support buildings, which is unique. So you can really see how the keepers would have lived on site. We have, of course, the lighthouse. You can climb all 178 steps to the top and go out on the observation deck. Then we have our head keeper's cottage, which was restored to the time period of the 1930s when the Jackson family lived here. And George Jackson was the last uh, U.S. Lighthouse Service keeper before they transitioned into the Coast Guard. So he was the last keeper to work for the US, last keeper to work for the U.S. Lighthouse Service. Mm-hmm. And you can also go into our summer kitchen, which was built in 1812. We have a little bit of the Confederate barracks remaining, which was eventually turned into the second assistant keeper's cottage. There's also um, our history museum across the street. So you're able to see that as well. Majority of the building and our fuel storage. We do have our fuel storage building, which we just recently restored last year. We put we restored the brick floor and uh, we put a new roof on it, repainted it. So that one's looking pretty sharp. We're excited about that project that we just completed. But all that's included. There's a lot to see and do than just the lighthouse. You really get that experience of what it would have been like to live here in the 20s and the 30s as a lighthouse keeper. Would you say, well, obviously, I think I know what your answer to this is, but if people, uh, you know, for one reason reason or another don't want to or can't climb those 178 stairs in the lighthouse, sounds Mm -hmm. like there's still, still plenty for them to do there, right? There is. We've tried to make as many of our buildings ADA compliant as we can. Of course, the lighthouse is not one of those, unfortunately. 
We get asked if we have an elevator almost every day. Is there an elevator? No, there's no elevator. But we do have uh, the second assistance and the first assistance up to a point are ADA compliant. So they can visit and, and go into those buildings. We also have panels that surround the lighthouse that give you an overall view of what you would see if you were in there, as well as discussing the history. So while, you know, your loved ones climb, you still have plenty to do and see and learn while you can't necessarily go to the top. So yeah, there's plenty to do. When you mentioned people uh, asking about an elevator, it reminds me, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm involved in giving tours at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse here in New Hampshire, and there's a storage closet in the watch room at the top of the stairs, and the door's always closed to that. People ask what's in there, and I sometimes tell them it's the elevator down, and they, I get these blank looks like, you know, they're not, they're not quite sure whether to believe that or not. The other standard yeah. answer to that is that's where the ghost lives. You know, we have some ghost stories yeah. there, too. They love ghosts, don't they? They do love a good ghost story. We all we get asked sometimes, where's the slide? We should put a slide down. <laughs> a water slide, should, yeah. A slide down from the top. Right. That can be the reward for reaching it. Yeah. yeah. So just imagine that liability. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just, uh, well, I mentioned it first, but then you uh, mentioned ghost stories. People love ghost stories. Are there mm -hmm. any, uh, do you have any stories of the light station being haunted in any way? Not really. I mean, we all kind of say we've had experiences, but we haven't, other than this, the, the Union and the Confederate soldiers who were here and possibly died of, of yellow fever or malaria, and the people who built the tower, uh, we don't have a whole lot of history that lends itself to truly terrible circumstances that would create ghosts. Most of the people who were here were happy. Right. Um, so, no, we, we can't pinpoint any one ghost, but we all have had those odd happenings every now and then. But how much of that is just living in an old building, too, you have to ask yourself. Sure. I just interviewed yeah. an Irish lightkeeper, Richard Cummins, who spent time as a keeper at Hookhead Lighthouse in Ireland, which is the oldest mm -hmm. operating lighthouse in the world. He said he didn't feel it was haunted, but it was unbelievably creepy at night. I, I can't I, go in our head keepers at night. I just don't know why. I refuse to go in there at night. And I don't have any specific reason. I just don't like the way it feels at night. Yeah. And I can't, I can't pinpoint it. So, <laughs> Yeah, no, I understand. Back to the tours there, again, this year was certainly different for, for everybody, for all kinds of tourist attractions and lighthouses and so forth. Mm -hmm. How did the COVID-19 pandemic uh, specifically affect your tours at Tybee Island? We had to close for three months. You know, I think almost everybody did. So we closed from mid-March until the end of May, and we reopened, I believe it was the 28th of May. We limited, we did online ticket sales, and we limited our visitation to about 30 people an hour and we did that through august and that did hurt i'm not gonna lie that hurt our revenue because we normally you know see 150 200 people a day in the summer and we were just getting nowhere near those numbers overall it, it was just hard to know that people wanted to come on the site and we couldn't let them on the site because we had already maxed out our numbers Thankfully, we are, are a majority, we're a three-acre site, so we have tons of outdoor space, and we were able to, to open our site and let people come on and spread out, and, and by August, by the end of August, the beginning of September, we, were, we had upped our numbers to 50, and we were really um, able to get back to a semi-normal pattern of business. 
And now we're back to full functioning because, of course, it's January, February, and it's 30-something degrees outside, and nobody wants to come to a lighthouse. (laughs) Wow. So you're not getting many people right now? No, we're lucky. Right this time of year, we're lucky if we get 50 people a day come through. Well, that's that's something. That's not too bad. It is something. It is something. And those people, I'm sure, have a great time. Could you say maybe a little bit about what some of the highlights people see in the museum there? In the museum across the way? Well, it is located in a historic Endicott battery, so you get to go into the battery, which itself is just wonderful to see that. There's also quite a few um, artifacts regarding some of uh, Tybee's past buildings, the DeSoto, which was torn down in the 90s, the amusement park, which was torn down in the 90s. We have a, a train exhibit from when the train ran out to Tybee. That's exciting. And then, of course, an extensive history on the batteries themselves and the history of Fort Scrubbin is in there as well. A lot of people don't realize that Tybee has a great history from the, it was called the the Gateway to the Ocean, uh, and it was called that in the 20s and the 30s, and it was a big resort town. A lot of people forget that, and they don't realize how big Tybee was at that time. Big bands would come and play, mm. and all of that's in the museum. All that history is there. And also, I believe the Historical Society has uh, various special programs, uh, sometimes at the, the light station. Uh, what, again, maybe not this past year, but what are some of the, the kinds of uh, special events and programs you might have there? We have sunset tours where you can come and climb and go out on the top and watch the sunset. That's beautiful. Of course, that's over the marsh, not over the ocean. We have to tell people we're on the East Coast, so you don't see the sunset over the ocean here. You see it rise over the ocean, but set over the marsh, it's beautiful. We have Halloween tours where we have created a a walking tour around the light station where we talk about not necessarily ghost stories because we always want to be as factual as possible. But, you know, the yellow fever um, and the Civil War and Lazaretta Creek and some of the more darker tales from Tybee's history, not necessarily ghost stories, but just to, to remind you that Tybee had a few a few issues in its past. And we also do a Christmas tour where you can come and tour the lighthouse at Christmas time and see what it was like for the keepers in the 1930s and 40s, what it would have been like at Christmas time here at the light station. And you can climb on that one. You can climb to the top of the lighthouse on that one. We also have started, we had just started our sunrise tours, but unfortunately those have not had a chance to get off the ground yet. Um, and we also do a tour of the batteries, so an Endicott period or an Endicott battery tour around the area. We also offer that as well. So, are there any restoration projects in the pipeline? There's always something to restore. Oh my goodness, um, we just finished a restoration project in January uh, through March of last year. In fact, the day we closed was the day they finished. They couldn't have timed it better, and. They repaired the ironwork at the top of the landing. We were having some some issues with that. And they did the observation deck door, which was not shutting properly. They did some repointing on the interior. They had to address some some issues with spalling around the corbels. So they repaired that. And then some of the stair anchors were showing um, some, some rust jacking. So they repaired that as well. Uh, That was about a half a million dollar project, and we finished that, like I said, last March. 
Right now, we don't have the money to do any extensive repairs, but our next one hopefully will be in about two to three years, and it will be repainting the tower. It seriously needs to be repainted, and some of the cracks probably from that Charleston earthquake uh, need to be addressed, and that's going to be probably another half a million dollar job. So we need to we need to bounce back from COVID before we'll have some some financial means to to do that last project and then we should be good on the tower for hopefully 50 years and the last i think six years we put about a million and a half dollars in it wow how often is it repainted well when i got here it was repainted upon the finishing when it was originally restored in 98 and then it was repainted again in 08 and then we scheduled a repaint in 2014 and it was being, it was in the process of being repainted when Cullen passed. Mm-hmm. So that was the beginning January, 2014 is when it was being repainted and it just didn't get done the way it should have gotten done because of everything that was going on. So we're only here in 2020 and it needs to be done again. It's a little bit more than just repainting If it were just repainting that wouldn't cost us half a million dollars. The issue is some of the cracking cracks that have opened up and we have some um, issues with phosphorus leaking through the paint and some locations that we can't track down where those cracks are coming from. We have to get the old, old coatings off and we have to do that in a manner that is sensitive to the building, which, of course, is going to mean a little bit more of an expense to do it that way. Yeah. Major projects will be hopefully for 50 years will be good but the the tower really needs to be painted about every 10 to 15 years i have two final questions for you for bonus points mm-hmm. all right okay so here we go i'm uh, ready why do you think the tybee island light station needs to be preserved oh goodness um because it's it's just it's unique it's one of the most intact light stations in the country we have all of our support buildings. It, it's part of the revolutionary history. It's part of the Civil War history. World War One, World War Two. we sit in the middle of a military base. So our lighthouse was in the middle of all of that and, and all the changes it's seen over the years. It's a very vital part to American history, I, I believe, strongly, definitely Georgia history. I mean, we have a letter where George Washington agreed to replace the stairs in, in the Tybee Lighthouse. So I just honestly think that with our extensive history, you you got to save us because this lighthouse has sat here and witnessed all that. How can you not want to save it? Those are a lot of good reasons, and I, I agree <laughs> completely. Okay, last question. What have you personally enjoyed most about your work with Tybee Island Light Station? The visitor's getting to see someone who sees a lighthouse for the first time, getting to see them climb it and then come down saying how hard it was to climb it and how tired they are and and just teaching them about the history of light stations and letting them know we're still an active aid to navigation. Oh, they love to learn that. They love to know that the Coast Guard still maintains our light. That's one of the things that fascinates them most and teach them about how lighthouses work with shipping traffic and there's just so many good things, but it's it's the visitors. It's teaching them and, and, and watching them just see that lighthouse for the first time. That's the most exciting thing. 
You know, that's probably the most common answer I get when I ask people who work with lighthouses what they enjoy mm-hmm. most. It's, it's dealing with the visitors and mm-hmm. uh, seeing their excitement and, and uh, the love they have for these places. Yeah. It's also knowing you're preserving it for future generations and that, you know, I've been here 15 years and that my 15 years or however long I go here was a short time in this lighthouse history. But I was able to maintain it for those 15, 20, 25 years. I I did that for the lighthouse, for the community. And that's exciting, too. In a sense, you're the, the modern-day keeper of that lighthouse, with with a lot of help, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. When Cullen passed, that's the very thing we did for him. We went out and we put a, a keeper's brick down for him with the head keepers. That was our way to kind of pay tribute to him, was to add him to the list of keepers. And I don't think he would have expected us to do that, because I don't think he saw himself as a keeper. Um, but he very much was a keeper. He was the keeper of the Tybee Island Lighthouse for 20 years. Well, it's often said the preservationists are the, basically the keepers of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. So I just want to add a, a personal note. You know, I, I'm, I don't know if ashamed is the right word, but I'm very sorry to say I haven't been to Tybee Allen Lighthouse. You know, I've been to, to hundreds and hundreds of lighthouses, but I haven't made it there yet. It's right at the top of my bucket list. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> my wife and I, for years, have talked about a vacation to maybe Charleston and Savannah. Mm-hmm. and that whole area. And um, yeah. under present circumstances, it might not happen for a couple of years or something, but uh, I, I, I need to, to see uh, Tybee and the lighthouse for myself. So, well, we are here. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> Good. Good to hear. Well, Sarah Jones, Executive Director of the Tybee Island Historical Society, thank you so much for spending this time with me. It's It's been great. And again, I maybe I'll see you down there sometime, but uh, thank you so much for this. No problem. Thank you. Come on down anytime. Thanks again to Sarah Jones, Executive Director of the Tybee Island Historical Society. Visit tybeelighthouse.org, that's T-Y-B-E-E lighthouse.org, to learn more about the Historical Society and the Lighthouse. Like I said in the interview with Sarah, I haven't made it to Tybee Island Lighthouse yet. It's at the top of my list. Have you been there or to Savannah, Cindy? No, I haven't. But my mom and grandma visited Savannah after reading Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, and they loved it. Yeah, I've heard great things about Savannah. I hope, really, really hope to make it there. Charleston also, I think they're only uh, an hour mm. or so apart from each other, mm-hmm. Charleston, South Carolina. I also want to mention that there's a neat fundraising effort at Tybee Island Lighthouse. Engraved bricks line the walkways of the light station, and you can purchase a brick as a gift for a loved one. It's a great way to commemorate an important person or moment. You can purchase a brick through the website, again, at tybeelighthouse.org. Thanks, as always, to all the members, volunteers, staff, and board of directors of the U.S. Lighthouse Society, including Board President Mike Vogel and Executive Director Jeff Gales. We appreciate the support of the organization for this podcast. Go to uslhs.org to learn more about all the things the Society offers. And don't forget that you can support our podcast through your donation to the U.S. Lighthouse Society. Before we wrap up, I just want to mention something that's a little little different uh, with this recording session. Uh, In recent months, uh, actually probably for almost a year now, with the the pandemic and all that stuff that's going on, uh, Cindy, you well know that we've been recording remotely from each other, usually using Skype or Zoom. Yeah. We used the phone at first, actually. 
I'm not bad mouthing Skype or Zoom. They have they certainly have their their place. But for podcasters, I just want to recommend something. We're using uh, something called Zencaster. You go to Zencaster.com. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com. It's a it's a really great really great tool for recording remotely, uh, and the the sound quality is incredible. It really sounds like you're sitting in a studio. Hopefully, that's how it sounds to people right now. But anyway, I do recommend it, especially in this day when it, it's often hard to record in person with people, and they're not paying me anything to say that either. So anyway, uh, William J. Murtaugh, who was a pioneer and leader in the field of historic preservation for more than fifty years, once wrote, "Quote." The past is not the property of historians, it is a public possession. It belongs to anyone who is aware of it, and it grows by being shared." Unquote. As always, thanks for listening, and keep a good light. Out in the dark, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine, let it shine